Hey there, my friend, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Struchowski podcast. Before we get into the podcast episode today, I want to invite you to head on over to my website, overwhelmsucks.com. Yes, you did hear that correctly, overwhelmsucks.com. Pick up my free guide, 10 Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm. I know that when you're overwhelmed, the last thing you want to do is read a long report, so I intentionally made this free guide simple to read and most importantly to implement so get your free guide 10 quick ways to conquer overwhelm at overwhelmsucks.com bob wheeler is a financial expert and motivator and founder of the money nerve he helps listeners conquer their money shame and avoid making poor financial decisions by teaching how emotions can dictate our choices bob welcome to the show Mark, great to be here. Now, I just read in the introduction, you're the founder of the Money Nerve. That sounds that sounds kind of ominous, the Money Nerve, and dun dun dun. So, what what is that all about? It's very unnerving. The Money Nerve. Most of us don't realize, but we carry. I I feel a lot of money and stress in our bodies. Right. That Money Nerve is the positive side. You win the lottery, and you're like, Whoa! and you get all excited. You feel the euphoria. That's a good nerve, right? When you get overdrafted, they decline your credit card at a restaurant and you just feel that pit in your stomach. That's the money nerve. You physically feel that pain or joy when dealing with your money. Well, now that you said that, it makes a lot of sense. And I think anyone who's listening or watching this episode has been there. We've all been there when the check bounds, when... The server comes to your table and says, excuse me, sir. <laughs> and we've all been there when we landed a big client. So we've all tapped into the money nerve. I think the topic of money is fascinating. So I'm 57 years young and I'm the only child of my parents. And when I grew up, it was very hush hush. I, I never knew how much money they make. I never knew how much the mortgage payment was, how much the grocery was. I knew how much they paid for gas. I was in the car when they got gas. Usually I'm pumping the gas. But I don't know if they had a bearing on when I entered adulthood myself. And some people said I haven't entered adulthood, but that's a topic for another show. Right. But now I believe that money is both a good thing and a bad thing. So money can be used to buy drugs and given to kids at school, but money can also be used to build hospitals or fund scientific endeavors to help cure diseases. So I don't think money is a good or bad thing. I think it can be both. What say you on that? Yeah, absolutely. Money is a neutral energy. It just amplifies who we are. So if you're not a nice person, money's going to help you be not a nicer person even more. <laughs> if, if you're out there doing charitable works, you just have more access to be able to help people out. So several years ago, I was a pizza delivery guy. And I remember delivering $200 worth of pizza to someone's house who had a very nice, very well-kept, expensive car with a boat, lived in a mansion, and they would give me a dollar tip. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And so I'd come home talking to my wife about it, and she goes, they're probably house poor. In other words, all their money was probably tied up in assets. I'm like, but they paid for the pizza. I'm like, they couldn't give me a tip. Maybe she goes, maybe that was the last money they had. You don't know. But it used to get me really frustrated. Yeah, no, I told, well, it's funny because when I was sort of pressured into getting a fancy car because I was successful, I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to give $5 tips at, because I knew everybody was expecting 
I could get by with a dollar in a Toyota. But when you're driving a Mercedes, they're thinking like you're thinking and they're judging me. So I would just rather skip the whole process and save my $3. So you just went around with the, the car that had the duct tape headlight on it just so you had to give a big tip. That's hysterical. Yeah. So let's let's talk about money in 2022. So I, I obviously I don't know who's listening to my this conversation right now that'd be really weird if i said hey jane thank you for listening to the show that would be really strange and if you are name is jane i hope i didn't freak you out right now but how do you see people let's do a broad stroke here how do people that you see look at money in 2022 well you know it's been interesting since the pandemic and what i've seen and i work with a lot of entrepreneurs even though they may have brought in a million dollars or whatever they brought in, they're netting 300, 500,000. I have had almost all of my clients tell me how poor they are. This is the worst year ever. They don't have anything going right. And then when I sort of check in with the facts, well, you did this and you've got this money in the back. Oh yeah, I guess it's been pretty good. So it's been interesting to see a lot of my clients and entrepreneurs often come from like, I don't have a lot of money because I got to pay for my next project, right? But it's been an interesting observation that it just feels like a lot more people are feeling the pinch. It's interesting here in America, and of course, this is a worldwide podcast, but here in America, a million dollars in New York City, a million dollars in San Diego, a million dollars where I live in Houston, Texas, totally different three separate cities but a million dollars goes a lot farther here in houston than it does in san diego or new york city yeah absolutely and that's i'm in los angeles and the to buy a small little house with maybe a half a toilet it's 1.5 million dollars if you're lucky and and so i get it but it's still that piece where i've had clients say, well, yeah, actually I do have half a million dollars in the bank. And yeah, I guess it was really our best year. So they've just gotten in this habit through the last couple of years of just telling themselves a story. And it is more expensive here. And gas is ridiculous. Fortunately, uh, you know, I'm in a position that I don't have to worry about how much the meat's costing. And oh my gosh, well, I have to put you know, gas in the tank, but I'm also a half a block to my office. <laughs> I'm also spoiled in that respect. So it's an interesting observation as things have shifted post-pandemic. Why do you think that people who have money in the bank, even though they think they are struggling, they have money in the bank, they are able to pay for their house, they're able to pay for the meat and stuff like that. Why do you think they think that they're not doing well where the numbers show otherwise? Well, I think we go back to our comfort level. Uh, or our comfort story. So one of the things I love to do with clients is ask them what's the bank account level at which they're comfortable, right? So some people are happy that it's not overdrawn. And that was me many years ago. Oh, thank God I'm not overdrawn, right? Then at a certain point, uh, I need to have 5,000 in the bank. Okay, I'm comfortable. But as we get more toys and we have more obligations, well, now I want to know that there's 20,000 in the bank. Now I want to know that there's this amount. And for me personally, if I've got $100,000 in a savings account or I've got money in a brokerage account, they don't count, right? So I've, I've, I've taken them out of the equation and now I'm just dealing with my main operating account. And oh my God, it doesn't have enough, even though, and I get caught up in this. I'm like, wow, I wish I was like my client. They've got two properties and they're make, oh, oh yeah. I, oh, so am I, right? Like, so 
I forget the facts. And I think a lot of us forget the facts. I'm not going to go starving tomorrow, but sometimes I think I am, or I act like I am. And you know, the more I get comfortable with money in the bank, the more I want it to be a higher number. And so I can't give up that hundred thousand dollars. I'm broke. Well, some people don't even have that. So, you know, I'm missing the piece there where there's a little bit of entitlement or lack of appreciating that I actually do have these things. Way back in the early 1980s, I remember banks were totally different there. There was no online banking. And I remember going to the ATM and you can only take at that time, you could take $10 out. And I had $9.95 in my account. The bank was closed. It was on a weekend. And I'm like, no, I need the money. And I couldn't get the money out because I was a nickel short. And now 2022, totally different. But I want the listener to remember, if you are doing really well right now and you're just banking money, I'm willing to bet you it wasn't always like that. So I want you to keep your feet in reality. And remember, there was a time when you couldn't take money out of the ATM. You couldn't even go to McDonald's. Maybe you had to return cans for money. We all went through that phase unless you're a trust fund baby. And I, I, my biggest fear, and we see this with lotto numbers, lottery winners all the time. They, they live hand to mouth, the paycheck, the paycheck. They get this influx of cash from a lottery winner. They go out and blow it in like what, six to nine months. And they're yeah. back where they were before because the discipline hasn't changed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even with the lottery winners, it goes back to that comfort level. I'm comfortable with a thousand dollars in my bank. So I need to get rid of the rest. When I have clients inherit money or they have a large windfall, they'll say, well, okay, I need to pay this down. And then I said, no, you need to just leave it alone for 30 days. You just need to let it sit in your bank. What? What? And the stress level of telling people to just leave a large amount of money in their bank account for 30 days, it <laughs> freaks out most of my clients. My father's 81 years old. He recently lost his wife and my mother in June to Alzheimer's. And he worked for 30 years at a steel factory up in Rochester, New York. And they offered him the buyout. They said, hey, listen, we'll give you all your retirement up front right now. And, and then that's it. You know, we're, we disconnect our relationship and my father was going to do it and he changed his mind. He was going to do it. And he changed his mind. He found out that he didn't want to do it because he wanted that money coming in every month. I said, dad, they're, they're going to give you the money and you put it in your savings account. But he wasn't, he had trouble understanding that right. he wasn't losing money. He thought he was losing money. The only difference is they're going to pay him all at once and it sits in the savings account. And because he's old school, he didn't understand it. So he found safety and security and comfort in the fact that his former employer would send him money every month. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most of us get really comfortable with a certain pattern. And for us to change that, we've got to find a new pattern, a new habit. And we've got to, what I like to say, hiccup the brain or interrupt the brain, right? So we can create that hiccup to stop the, no, 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 but I, this is the way I've always, yeah, let's try some. Oh, oh, that works. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is better, right? But it's uncomfortable. We have to be so uncomfortable that we want to move out of that place. If we're just unconsciously comfortable in the pain until it gets too painful, we're just, we're just not going to move. One of the things that my wife and I used to fight about all the time is where the money's going. And about six years ago, 
there's a financial guy, Dave Ramsey. He created this app called Every Dollar. And so we track every penny we spend. Good, bad, ugly, different, doesn't matter. We track it. Now we can go to any category of every any month of every year, and we know how much we spend on gas or how much money we spend on house repairs or car repairs. And I think if people would do this, and I, and I would like to know what you think, how many people actually know how much money they're actually spending. Because when you know, like they say, the truth will set you free. When you know, holy cow, we by three, four months ago, we were spending like $500 a month going out to eat every month. And I'm like, what are we doing? First of all, the food is horrible. Right. And we had to pay for the tips. We had to drive there. And so we, we saw that number there. And we're like, no, this is, we're done. Maybe once a month. But other than that, we're done. But if you're not tracking, if you're just like using your Apple Pay, using your credit card, swiping down cash, your brain doesn't remember all the transactions. You go, well, you start rationalizing yourself. Oh, I'm not spending that much money. But if you track it in an app or an Excel spreadsheet or something like that, then you're like, whoa, we're overspending on this category. Because I, I would argue if you don't know you're messing up, uh, you can't fix it because you don't know there's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when I do workshops and we do budgets and I like to call it honest budgeting because a lot of people don't put the stuff on there they don't want people to know about. And the reality is I don't care if you have an addiction problem, a shopping addiction, whatever, I need to budget for it so that I can plan ahead, right? So it's not a judgment on that. But most people freak out when you say budget, it's restricting, you're trying to tell me what I can and can't do. It's a piece of information. It's just like if you're going to take a road trip, you want to have a map and you want to know where the gas stations are and you want to know if you need to put food in the cooler or if you need to stay at a hotel. Uh, you know, if you're cooking a meal, you know, got to make sure you got a stove and an oven. You got to have all your tools and a budget when it comes to money is one of those tools that's going to help you see, oh, wow, we need to put more money in the emergency fund. Oh, we could actually, we can spend a little more money, more money going out because we had a windfall. But then you get to make decisions. It's not limiting. It's to me empowering to be able to say, this is where I want to go. Because most of us, a lot of people think being a millionaire means I get to spend a million dollars every day, <laughs> right? It's just money going out, money going out, money going out. And that in my mind is thinking like a consumer. How can I spend? How can I spend instead of an investor? How can I save? How can I preserve? How can I look for the future? And most people, I think, are in a consumer mindset instead of, wait a minute, how does it serve me in the long run? Got overwhelmed? Then you need to get my free guide, 10 Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm. This free guide will help you quickly deal with overwhelm so you can get back to making the impact you've dreamed of. Get your copy for free at OverwhelmSucks.com. One of the things I learned when I first went into business, I was fired from my job and July 2005 is I would make money for my business and I would spend it. And then as I started educating myself through coaches and whatnot and very smart people in my life, they said, your business money should stay in the business to pay for the business. So if, let's say we'll keep the math simple because I'm a simple man. I, I, I don't do math very well. So let's say I make a thousand dollars every month. That's my income. And my expenses are $500. Well, I'm like, oh, I got $500 myself. Well, if I pull that out, now I have zero wiggle room. And let's say the next month, my services go up 
Well, now I've already taken the money out. So now what I do, even though I have money in a business account, that's there to fund the business, right. not to take me to McDonald's or buy Pizza Hut or something like that. It's to fund the business. And I've talked to a lot of new solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, small business owners, whatever you want to call them. And they look at it as their business income is like an ATM. I said, no, I made that mistake. It's got to stay in the business. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can tell you for myself, when I was first starting out, even though I was a CPA, I wasn't listening to my own advice, right? And I was spending the money that was, you know, I had a Schedule C initially. And so it's just all commingled. When I created the business and I said, that's the business, for whatever reason, I was much more protective of my business than I was of my personal. And so, you know, and I think that's true for a lot of people. We'll take care of everybody else or all the other things. And so my business to me was separate. I made sure that that thing flourished and I could be starving and there could be money in the bank. And I'm like, that's not my money, even though it technically is my money. But I had to really separate and it was easy for me to do when I was protecting my business. That's very true, because now if something comes along and I want to purchase it back in the day, I didn't have any income. It was a brand new business. So I had to take the money out of the personal account, my wife and my personal account. Now, like, oh, I want to try this new service. I already have money in there. See, that's the flexibility. Doesn't matter if you have a hundred dollars or a thousand or ten thousand dollars. When you have the money and it's dedicated for the business, and a big key of this, if you have a wife or a husband or family members, they've got to understand that there's not a bridge between the personal and the business account. It's separated with a wall with a moat and alligators in it. It's it's a completely different country, a completely different business financial situation. My wife gets that. She knows the money in the business is for the business. And she's yeah. about ready to spin up her own copywriting business and her income will be in the copywriting business, not for the income. Now, if you don't have another job, eventually then you're going to, have to start withdrawing money but that comes as a, like how do you how do you do that so it walk us through that to people listening to the show so you you and your wife both have a job mm-hmm. and obviously you don't have another job so your your income you have to pull from that to pay for the expenses so do you like write yourself a check once a month to put in your personal account how do you personally handle that or how do you recommend your clients do that yeah so for me it's a hybrid most of my clients are you know, going to be an S corp, uh, possibly an LLC, depending if they're in real estate or if they're, uh, we're looking at self-employment tax and stuff like that, but they usually have a pass-through entity. That's usually the best structure for a small business. And what we're going to do is there's money in the business. It's making a profit. Well, if it's an S corp, the IRS already wants you to take a small amount as payroll. So we're going to take some out as payroll, but most of that money, I'm only going to do what the IRS pushes me to do. And I'll push back a little bit. I'll do some salary, but most of it, I'm going to take out as a draw. Personally, I like to do it once a month. I like to make it a consistent amount so that I know, great, I'm taking out 5,000, whatever it is. Now, if I have people that have a lot of activity going back and forth and 5,000 coming in at 2003, then I might tell them to make a draw of like 5,003 bucks. So that I always know that the 5,003 <laughs> is that is that draw. Because a lot of my clients are like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. So if I can give it a weird number, for me, that's a little bit of a marker. But consistency, I think once a month, if you're not able to budget, you need it every two weeks, great. But I, for me, once a month gives you a little bit of consistency and it forces you to be a little bit more responsible than just pulling it as you need it. So you would send the money out 
you, what you recommend, pull it once a month, draw it out once a month, then you put that in your personal account, yeah. which will take care of your monthly expenditures. Yeah. Because it's really hard when you work for a corporation, you get a paycheck every two weeks or once a month. What You're doing the same thing. Right. Let's say you get paid once a month. You're just taking it out of your business account to fund your personal account instead of you getting a paycheck in your personal account. Same, same concept. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing about having your own business, though, is with the W-2, they take out all the taxes, you get what's left. With a business, you pay all the expenses and you get taxed on what's left. So I'd rather keep the cash and pay what's left, pay the tax on what's left than just get what's handed to me. Yeah, because if you look to the way our government's been spending money the last 20, 30 years, Democrat, Republican, independent... Yeah, they're not being very good stewards of our no. money. So I'm with you. I'm like, I want to pay them less money because they have not proven to me that they can spend the money wisely. I mean, if we spent money the way the government spent money, uh, we'd be in a world of hurt. <laughs> we would be. But, you know, it's interesting. The people running the government, the people running corporations all have personal money stories and issues. And so you're putting people that haven't worked out their own money traumas or whatever they might be. And now they're running companies using somebody else's money and not making the connection. I have an 84 year old aunt and she is, she doesn't like rich people because she goes, rich people get all these tax benefits. And I always tell her, I said, first of all, these tax benefits are for anybody. Right. You just don't happen to qualify. Second of all, I said, who do you, who do you think comes up with the tax laws? That would be Congress. Congress has a lot of rich people in it. So Congress votes laws in the action. This is my personal opinion. Yeah. They vote laws in the action that benefit them and they throw in the nonprofits in there to make them look good. That's what, that's what, I mean, do you agree with me about that? Yeah, no, look, it's, it's so interesting. I remember there was a period where they were going to wipe away second home mortgages. And Congress voted against it. Why? Because they all have second homes. <laughs> Why would they vote against themselves? Yeah. And they get to, ra- they get to vote themselves a raise. And right. there's like three or four people every year that vote against it. I think they draw straws or something. Right. And because they guys said, we can't make it unanimous. Right. Who's not going to vote themselves a raise? I mean, right. I mean, entrepreneurs get to vote ourselves a raise. The difference is I can tell my clients to say, listen, I want $30 million for a coaching session. I'm probably not going to get it. Probably not. But Congress can vote themselves a raise and we pay it anyways, whether we think they're doing a job or not. Exactly. So what other information would you like to share with us about money, the money nerve, how we can be better with money? What you got for us? Well, you know, I think the biggest thing about money and spending it, which a lot of people love to do, is when you're getting ready to pull out that credit card, a cash dollar bill, whatever it might be, take a moment to think about how, how is this serving me in the moment or in the future? So am I just doing this to like satisfy an urge? Is this actually going towards a college fund? Is this going towards the house that I said I wanted? So what I ask my clients to do is tell me what you want to do long-term and then make your spending in alignment with what you say you want. So that if I'm saying I want to save for a house, but I'm buying five rounds of drinks for everybody every night, Maybe I'm not in alignment. And so to just get really clear about what am I trying to do? And if the goal is to to buy five rounds of drinks every night, you're on track. But if your goal is to get a house, put money in a college fund, get an emergency fund saved, ask yourself each time you spend, is this going to serve me? And it may be going out and buying a nice jacket or something because now I'll feel good when I meet with clients. But to actually think about 
when you spend that money, is this something I want to go towards rather than just, it's so easy to swipe a credit card and you feel nothing. Or in my case, I have Apple pay on my Apple watch, which is even easier, but I, I have actually matured when it comes to my Apple purchases. So I have everything Apple in my house and in October, not October, market September. A couple of weeks ago, Apple did their big reveal for the iPhone 14 and the new Apple Watch. And my friends always ask me, hey, you going to buy the new watch? You're going to buy a new phone? I said, you know, I have the iPhone 13 Pro Max and I have the Series 6 cellular watch. If my watch and my phone died, I would buy the 14 and the new watch. But I would not go buy it now because there's nothing wrong with what I have. Right. I bought a brand new, brand new MacBook Pro in October 2021 because I needed one. I didn't go out and buy it because it was brand new. Now, what I tend to do is if I like my watch died, I would go buy the Series 8. I would buy the newest because it's the best right. technology. But I, a lot of people, and I used to do this, I would go buy it. I would trade in my old one to get the new one. I'm like, what is the point? How has it served me? It works. It works perfectly fine right now. Right. If I replace it, I will always replace it with the newest item because of the new technology. But I, I agree with you. I, I think people need to set their intentions for their money. What do you want to do? Now, one of the things I have gone completely 180 degrees on, I grew up in a culture where it's invest in the stock market, stock market, stock market. And today I'm still convinced that some old ladies smoking a cigar that throws dice and that's how the stock market works. I found this guy wandering around named Grant Cardone. He talked about real estate and he said, real estate, people always need some place to live. So I'm going to invest in real estate instead of the stock market. I think real estate is more stable. That's my opinion. I'm not an expert like you are, but I think if you set your intentions, here is my goal. I want to invest in real estate or I want to invest in Bitcoin or I want to invest in NFTs. Then if you set that intention or the goal and you start working toward it, but a lot of people, and I see this in my productivity work, they have no goals. I'm like, well, right. what do you put in your calendar if you don't know what your goals are? Cause you got to have a goal to put it on your calendar. And so I think people, when it comes to money, they need to ask themselves, have a conversation with themselves or their partner or their wife or their husband say, what are our goals? What do we want to do with our life? And once you get that figured out, as you've already alluded to on the show, once you get that figured out, then you can say, okay, now how do we get from here to there? That's right. Did I, did I, you have nothing to add to that? Was I, no, was that's I awesome. well, so here, you know, dream. So my favorite saying that I saw was goals are, are dreams with a timetable. Yes. Right. And so if you set the goal, if you figure out what the tools are, you need, what do I need? How much do I need to save? So that you can realistically start putting that money aside or moving towards those things you say you want. You you have to get clear about it. If you don't know where, if you don't see the future, you can't drive towards it. Yep. hundred percent. It's like the GPS you talked about in the very beginning. Yeah. Get in your car, want to go to Disney world and turn your phone off. Right. It's useless. It, yeah. it can't help you or put it on airplane mode. It can't help you. So you got to get clarity. That's the first thing I talk about when my clients invest in my coaching. The first thing we talk about is clarity. And I'm amazed that first call people go, wow, I never thought about this. I, I know because they think they're hiring a productivity coach to talk about being more productive. You can't be more productive if you're not clear. So we have to start at clarity. And you being on the show today has given us a lot of clarity of how we think about money. So before I ask you, where can we go find out more about you and what you're doing in the world? Anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about in the show that you want to share with the listeners today? 
Well, you know, I just think I want to just reemphasize this clarity piece. So many people think that that part doesn't matter. I've done these workshops where people come in and they want to pitch their ideas to investors and bring in money to get the business started. And I'll surprise them and say, great, everybody's going to pitch their idea to me, pitch what you need, how much you need, how it's going to be spent, all that stuff. Not a single person could articulate (laughs) what they needed. And it was a real wake-up call to all of them because they were pretty sure through osmosis it would just come to them. It won't. (laughs) You got to get really clear. You got to do the homework. And it it, it pays off dividends when you can get really focused. So I I just think, I just want to reemphasize that piece about clarity, intentionality. It it just can't be overemphasized. Love it. So where can we go to find out more about you and what you're doing in the world, sir? You can find me at themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. I'm both, N-E-R-V-E, Money Nerve. That'll take you to information on my tax practice, my uh, workshops, my money course, all that kind of stuff. I just wrote a children's book on financial literacy. I'm doing an eight book series. So that's coming out in November. Let's, you know, it's all about money. Let's normalize those conversations. Money Nerve, themoneynerve.com. Excellent. Bob, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your insights with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I really appreciate your time and attention. Before you go, I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you have not subscribed to this podcast in your podcast player of choice, would you do that right now? This way, every time a new episode comes out, you will be informed. Second thing is, while you are subscribing, please consider leading a rating and a review. This helps the podcast get discovered. And the third thing I know I'm asking a lot of you, the third thing is if you know of someone who can use this episode right now, why don't you just share it with them? Every podcast player that I'm aware of makes it really easy to share an episode. So if you're thinking of a family, a colleague, a neighbor, a friend who needs to hear this episode, go ahead and hit that share button and send this podcast to them right away so I can help them like I helped you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back real soon with a brand new episode.